What were Jesus's last words? Go out into the whole world and make disciples. This Catholic podcast is all about helping you respond yes to the final and greatest invitation of Jesus, the adventure you were made for. Together, let's explore what the worlds of business, education, organizational leadership, popes, saints, scripture, and the church herself say about fulfilling the Great Commission. So imagine that you are planning your next outreach and you realize, you know what, you need to send an email because you've got to update the website. And so you start typing an email, but then you realize that person that you're sending an email to, you're not on good terms with. And the last time you talked with them, they actually got a little upset with you. And so you're now overthinking this email and you're not sure about the tone. So you get up and you leave your desk, you go to another office and you find someone to say, hey, could you look over this email because I'm not sure about the tone and I wanna make sure that it comes across right. But then that person's not there. And then on your way back to your office, someone stops you and they say, hey, can you help me with this? So what just happened is we overthought something and we didn't allow ourselves because we were worried about perfection. The perfection was, oh, this has to be the perfect tone because I don't wanna upset this person. I just need to have it it's right. And it kept us from getting things done. And so. This episode is all about making sure that we do not let perfection or fear stop us from getting results, from learning, and from growing and becoming experts in ministry. Yes, I'm so excited to talk about this, Dan. You know, I think failure uh, stops us from doing so many creative things, but the best entrepreneurs and innovators are not afraid of failure. They embrace it because they learn from it and they get better. And we all maybe have heard the phrase, perfect is the enemy of done. So, so excited to talk about this today. 100%. I I am so excited to talk about this because of the uh, thinking, especially about like learning science and the the psychology of expertise. Failure is one of the best teachers. Failure is perhaps the best teacher. And if we want to get better, we have to be willing to embrace failure. Now, this doesn't mean that we're reckless in planning things, but it means that we are deliberate and we do things that are challenging to us. And when when we do things that are challenging, which is the only thing that's going to help us grow Mm -hmm. and get better, we are bound to fail a little bit. But higher risk, higher risk, higher reward, right? Exactly. Yeah. So what we are proposing to you is something called the iterative model. And in this model, I'm going to pop it up on the screen for those of you who are watching along with video. First, you plan, then you implement, you observe, and then you repeat the process. And the the key thing here is you observe what you did well and what you could have done better. You make note of it so that you can do it better the next time around. And we never stop with this. And so often, I think we can probably all point to instances in ministry and in family and in friendships and relationships and in and when we were in school where we have the best of intentions and we don't implement so we don't get an opportunity to observe and we never get better. And we allow fear to stop us doing something good before we ever get started. Yeah. And the iterative model shows itself in all industries, really. It might be called something different, But, you know, I've seen this in healthcare. I've certainly seen this in business. I've seen this in IT and technology. Um, I've seen this in little kids playing on a playground together or building a sandcastle. It's so vital. And and think about learning science, Dan. You know, I spent a couple years as a teacher and my kids struggled at the beginning of the year because me and some young teachers thought we were so smart to create our own curriculum. Let's just teach, you know, old school math, carry the carry the tens, do all that stuff. Well, our kids weren't learning. And then we just finally embraced an investigative model of teaching where the kids would have manipulatives. They tried things, they would break, but then we'd close the lesson 
talking about what they discovered or learned, our kids started to soar, Dan, literally soar. Students with learning impairments, learning disabilities started to soar because of this investigative model approach. So to your point, we have to be willing to take risks if we're going to learn. And this certainly, certainly, certainly applies to ministry. So the first step in here is planning. So let's talk about that a little bit more. We could even go through a process where we plan a an imaginary scenario and come up with the details and then think through implementation and observation, recognizing some of the, the areas that are most likely to give you trouble and where you're most likely to fail so that you can learn and improve some. So let's just go right for the heart of matter what this podcast is all about making disciples. So let's say you are brand new in your parish or in your diocesan role, and you recognize that one of the first things you need to do is build a core mass of disciple makers. So people who understand, they have a clear uh, clear understanding and a sense of conviction that their job as Catholics is to lead people to the Lord, to, uh, to accompany them, to facilitate an encounter with Jesus so that that person recognizes Jesus as the Messiah and then makes that conscious decision to follow the Lord and turn his or her life over to God, and then hopefully repeats that process. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to get a group of people who are willing and ready to do that. So let's think through, one of the first things you're gonna do is recruit those people. You need to identify who is your, your target audience. So I'm going back to the flock experience, locking on. How can you get in touch with those people? So maybe that means asking the pastor, could you identify a few, maybe a dozen ideal candidates, people who already have the right disposition and probably have the time, they have the knowledge, they have the, the maturity and the faith to get going. And then you've got to have an opportunity to get in touch with those people to uh, to promote this event, to invite them into something. You'll need somewhere to hold this event. You're gonna need some content to walk with them using. So you'll need some books, or you'll need some videos, or you'll need some journals, or you'll need something to pray with. You'll need some kind of curriculum or guide, if you will, so that, uh, you have an understanding if they go through and get familiar with this material at the end of this period of time, however long it's going to take, they are going to be, you know, we're, we're going to have a reasonable confidence that they can begin evangelizing and handing on the faith to people. And then you're just going to have to do it. So uh, that means moving, once we move beyond that planning phase, we, we start doing. Um, I often like to say, we know enough stuff, it's time to start doing some stuff. So with your you know, getting that that first list of people, we start making those phone calls. And as we, we call pastors, those conversations are going to re reveal to us some of our own blind spots. So we were probably thinking, I want these type of people. This is the type of ministry. This is how they're going to help. But then when we talk with pastors and they start asking us, well, how are these people going to get involved in ministry? How are they going to be part of a parish? How are we going to make sure that this doesn't just become its own thing? How do we connect people back into the life of the church? So we're going to have to have those answers. And that means that that next phone call, if we take those notes and we think about that in, uh, in advance a little bit, we'll have those questions at the ready. And then let's say we reach out to those people and we send them an email and we say, hey, we would love to share this opportunity with you. Sometimes we're gonna hear crickets. Maybe you email 12 people and you hear back from one. Maybe most of them say, no, I can't do it. Now, what do you do? Do you proceed just with the people who are, uh, who are on board and say, yeah, I can do it? Or do you reach out to more people? So now you've got some people who are ready to go. And then you have this new new group of people that you're trying to connect with and trying to bring on board. So how do you sync that up chronologically? Do you make everybody wait and go at the same time? These are all some of those challenges that you're going to find in implementation. But the 
what we want to get back to here, back to here is if we just do it, if we just start, we learn so much more than if we don't do it at all. Yeah, and Dan, I am someone that maybe like some of our listeners st- suffers from analysis paralysis. I will sit there and analyze, plan, think of everything that could go wrong. And before you know it, three months have passed and I haven't done a single thing. So I think what's key, kind of even thinking back to the example you just shared, is a theme we've had throughout our episodes of start small, focus small, and do that really well and let it build from there. So as you were going through that step, you you started right where I would have started in that example. If I was trying to build a team of disciple makers, first I would identify qualities that I'd be looking for in those people. i probably ask the pastor. My problem is I'd, I'd maybe want to have eight or nine qualities. That's too much. Pick three or four good qualities. Then where I could see my next hang up is I would say, all right, I will start when I have a team of 12 members. Guys, and I'm talking to, talking to imaginary Justin in this scenario. You don't need 12. Find two or three. And when you got two or three good ones that meet your qualities, start with them. And then next, you talked about doing some kind of book study to form the team. I think that'd be a wonderful idea. My problem would be I want to do a year-long curriculum. Eh, find a simple book, maybe one of the books from our other episode, maybe Making Missionary Disciples by Curtis Martin, right? That'd be perfect. 60 pages, we finish it in three or four weeks, then boom, we spend a few months trying to implement. We don't spend a year, two, we don't make a three or five-year, five-point plan. No, we spend a few months trying to implement it, take what we learned, well, then after that, say that's probably about, you know, three to four months of total stuff right there. At the end of that, we'll have learned so much. We'll probably have failed a little bit, but then we'll know how to grow this in a healthy way, not grow it prematurely. I think a lot of ministries, what can happen is we start really big and we get all these people at first, but then we didn't know where we were going to take them or we didn't build it with the right foundations and it withers and, and dies. Well, what's a little healthier is start small, learn, tweak, build and build sturdy branches so that this ministry can grow. Because our Lord even says himself, that's kind of how the kingdom of God works, right? He says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, but it grows to be the tallest tree. So our Lord asks us to start small. Uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta says, do small things with great love. So start small, invite the Lord in always, bring him into every conversation, every planning meeting, every single decision, bring him in and let it grow. So our next phase that we get into will be the observation phase where we just say, how can we get better? What's the next step? I'm going to give an example. So I'm doing actually this process right now. I've started to meet with a group of people who uh, work for different parishes from the diocese, and they recognize the need to be intentional disciple makers. And so they're getting ready to train members of their parish, whether it's their staff or their volunteers to be disciple makers. So we are undergoing this process. And like you said, Justin, we didn't wait for it to be perfect. We just reached out to people and said, this is when we are, we're starting. This is the program. We'd love for you to join. And we kept it small. We were okay. We knew, you know, we might get 10 people. We might get 30 people. And we're going to start no matter how many we have, because we know the most important step is the first one, just getting it started and getting it off the ground. And so we chose a a book that we're going to use that comes with video lessons. And I've, I'm doing this with a coworker, and so as we've started, uh, we've been in communication saying, well, here's what we're doing or here's what we did for this lesson, uh, and here's what I learned, so here's what I would, would it change along the way, and then we're documenting it, and that's the key is taking notes and writing things down so that you know when you come to do this next year, you can go back and you can look at those notes and you can say, 
oh, this is one of those problem areas. And, you know, this uh, maybe the reflection questions in the book weren't written as well as you as you thought they, they would have been. And the conversation just got a little stagnant. And so you tweak those and you wrote your own. Uh, but remembering that is going to keep you from falling again in the future. And also keeping a uh, some kind of reminder system of your mindset at the time. So when you have that that start small mentality and you say, all right, I'm not going to let perfection be the enemy of done. It would be awesome to just put a little note in that file, write yourself a message and save it in your file system or in your folders so that you could go back and you can say, all right, where was I? What was what kind of headspace was I in? And to remember that we had an openness to to failing because we were confident that this was what the Lord was calling us to. And we knew that we were going to learn along the way. Um, I had a really encouraging conversation with a supervisor the other day where I shared a plan for a new vision of a, of a big ministry outreach that we do. And he said, you know, I think this is great. Uh, the, we're in a, in a different world right now and ministry is different and we need to be willing to do things differently. And there may be bumps along the way. And so if you're worried about failure reflecting poorly on you, share some of those concerns with your supervisor. And especially if you trust them and you're, you're not worried that they're going to hold that over your head it would be awesome to go to them and say, here's what, what, what I'm thinking. Here's some of the pitfalls that could come up. I would love your feedback on it. Or go to your peers and say, could you help me think through some of these problems? I know not every time, not, not all the time are our supervisors open to us bringing these concerns. And so I would say, you know, use prudence and caution to make sure you're not bringing something to them that they're going to use against you in the future. Um, but if you do have that good relationship with them, don't be afraid to say, I really want to succeed, so I want to be bold, but that also means that that increases my chances of failure, and I'm sensitive to that, and I want to bring it to you and ask your opinion. Yeah, and I think in the observe phase, so folks, this is another framework that's in our book coming out, Go Make Disciples, it's going to be available on Amazon, December 8th, Feast of the Immaculate Conception, but this is really interconnected with another topic we're going to address in that book, which is team dynamics, and I think a big thing in the observe phase when you're reviewing things you know, teams need to understand we're talking about ideas and not people. Do not take things personally. So as you observe something, you got to look at it factually. Say, did this get the result we wanted? Was this effective? Was this fruitful? And we got to all let go of whatever thing we built or whatever website we had or whatever and just objectively look at it. Like you said, Dan, getting feedback from different parties, different stakeholders, saying, does this work or not? You know, not 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 being offended. And we need to embrace that as leaders first that we don't get offended when someone criticizes something that we've done. It's about ideas, not people. So um, I think the observe phase is really tied to healthy team dynamics, even healthy uh, self, self-esteem self things, right? You know, don't let your pride get in the way. Don't let your ego get in the way. If it is, take that to the Lord and know that it's not from him, you know, and ask for help. But um, the other thing I wanted to point out about the story you shared, Dan, is, is documentation. That's because you're approaching that new implementation, which sounds really exciting, as a learning experience. You are taking notes because you said, hey, I know this ain't going to be the exact same when we do it the next go around. So just having that lens or mindset that you're always learning, you know, I got to share a story of uh, this men's group I was in at a parish once and my favorite guy in the group that would come. This guy had to be, I think in his 80s, a war veteran, had raised a family of six or seven kids. He was the only guy, I think, that brought a notebook. He took notes every meeting and he was still always learning. So if we approach everything as a learning experience, we're only going to improve moving forward. 
So there's a, a great story. That's a great story, by the way, for, for someone to be 80 years old, and I would say that accomplished in the eyes of the world, but to still have the humility to say, I have something to learn here. He was um, still learning. A, a great story. Um, one of the more successful college football coaches of the last 20 years, um, I don't know if I want to say his name because it's probably a, a bad word in many households throughout the Southeast. So anybody who doesn't like Alabama doesn't like this guy. If you like Alabama, then you love this guy. Your football coach has won so many games. And the the joke against him is that he's never happy. Who wins a football game and then he's unhappy. Like you go to a press conference. It's like a forced smile. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the press is they're they're just talking about how awesome he is and how good yeah. his team is. And he can't stand it. And he gets mad. He's like, You guys, you're our worst enemy. You are like rat poison. Uh, yeah. you make us well, think that quote so- that quote gives it away too who we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I I read an article one time that said, okay, this game might be the the platonic ideal of a football game for this coach because they blew an opponent out and there was still lots to be upset about because they probably scored 60 points on offense, but they let up 30 points on defense. So it's still a, a huge victory, but there was a lot to complain about. And what I think is, is special about him and probably what makes him so good is his willingness to look for what's wrong to make it right. And he's not afraid of, he's not afraid of failure, failure, and he's not afraid of the criticism. And that has helped him rise to the top. So love him or hate him, that's a reality of the way he does business. And yeah. I had a, a funny meeting earlier this week where I was proposing a new idea to some people. And I said, you know, I'd really love for you to tell me what's wrong with the idea. And after an awkward pause, somebody said very kindly, um, I'm going to say something, not because I disagree with anything, but I actually really like your idea. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I had a little like uh, a moment of realizing it was kind of silly that I actually like bad news sometimes as much as I like good news, because I want to know what I can do better. I want to know mm-hmm. okay, what are my shortcomings? How can I improve? And there's uh, there's probably something that I could pray through there to realize, like, maybe that's not the healthiest. Uh, entirely, but to at the same time to recognize it's my my willingness to say I know I'm not perfect um, that helps me get better, and I I love that. I don't ever want to I don't ever want to yeah. lose that quality. Well, another thing about that coach is that he has a routine. He's a very regimented person, and this framework is asking us to be a little bit regimented. Okay, so you should never have an outreach where you don't do a debrief after, do a survey. Those just need to be routine right? That there's always a survey and there's always a debrief conversation. You have to be regimented. It, I've heard it said that uh, the the devil uh, hates it when people have routines or hates people who have routines because he, he can't find a way to crack in. If they always pray at this time, do their exercise at this time, there's not a crack for him. Same with our ministry, because I think a lot of ministries happen, you know, there's so much buildup, so much work for months for teams. I was recently a part of a team like this, months and months and months. It wasn't the team I was leading, by the way. So There was not a debrief meeting after this month event we had labored for months for. Well, how do you know how to improve for the following year? Like you were just saying, Dan. So we've got to get a little regimented. You know, I've heard that that football coach you're talking about every morning he starts his day with the same breakfast, watching the same show. And I'm sure he's very regimented about certain things with his football program, but it's it's paid off. So it's also like um, the quarterback, Drew Brees, You know, I know that every practice he would start the first 10 minutes just taking snaps from the center over and over and over again. He's been doing that since he was a kid playing football, right? But he knows if I don't get that right, nothing else is going to go right. So, folks, we got to be a little regimented uh, if we want to be successful and keep, keep making improvements.
So there you have it, our iterative model. First we plan, then we implement, then we observe. Looking for failure, not so that we can find things to be frustrated or beat ourselves up over, but instead to say, how can we learn? How can we do more for the Lord? How can we improve upon this and help even more people embrace the gospel? I can say just in my own kind of personal private apostolate of reaching out to people who aren't Catholic, I have made so many mistakes over the last several months, but those mistakes have helped me because now I know what not to do in the future. And that's just going to mean that I can, uh, I can help establish trust and build meaningful relationships with more people rather than potentially offending them or pushing them away. So uh, please be willing to embrace failure. You will grow from it and you will love it at the end of the day. And Dan, one thing I just want to highlight about the framework is we didn't do this intentionally, but I like how they're kind of uh, evenly uh, sized because it makes sense to me. You know, you spend a couple months uh, planning, then you have a two or three months implementing it. Then you have to spend time observing it. The whole point is don't get stuck in one of these phases for too long, especially plan. Okay. When you plan, come up with enough, enough plan to just, just get started. Then just do it. You just got to do it. That's the whole point of this model is don't get stuck in planning you got to plan a little bit a little bit enough to be dangerous enough to pull something off because you can't go show up with no plan right just enough to get started and never ever forget to observe and i'll just uh end with one little phrase you all might have heard already but it i just love it that sometimes our tasks can seem so huge right like for dan even that new initiative you're thinking about a huge geographical area wanting to see disciple makers everywhere well that ain't gonna happen right away right so how do you bite how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time and that's what this model is pointing towards you're going to make waves for the gospel doing a little bit at a time focusing on those things and doing it really well learning from them and then going from there